Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. We're starting a new series this weekend. And to give you kind of the the perspective of where we're going to be going for the next while, uh, I need to give you a little bit of background. And, and the team here, they love for me every once in a while to shoot a video talking about where we're going to be going with the series. And I actually hate it. And the reason I hate it isn't because I, I'm like inherently opposed to it. It's simply, I'm kind of a romantic. And if I do something for my wife, I, I don't send messages out like, on this day, I'm going to do something special. And on this day, just know I'm going to do so-. I just wake up that day, race home from work, and I do it. You know, that's just kind of my wiring. And, and also, if you've been at this church for any amount of time, you kind of know how I roll. If he goes left, I'm going left. If he goes right, I'm going right. And so I've just learned sometimes, because I'm slower than most of you, it, it takes me a while to figure out where he's wanting to go with the series. And sometimes it's the day of. Then I admit it. And so I shot this video earlier this week. We're going to start this six-week series called 40 Days of Love. And it was going to be awesome. And, and message number one was going to be, Uh, loving God. And point number one was going to be love God the Father. Point two, love the Son. Point three, love the Holy Spirit. And Thursday morning is my run-through morning before I send my message off to the staff. Uh, I run through the message a couple of times. And so I'm preaching through this back in my office back there, and I I am getting increasingly frustrated while I'm preaching a message. Never a good sign, by the way. Okay? Like, my frustration is just growing. And I just kind of felt the Lord kind of sweetly and sarcastically go, what is the problem right now? And and I go, I'm supposed to cram in 40 to 45 minutes everything I love about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is ridiculous. Like, I can't do this. This doesn't do it justice. This is like me trying to describe my earthly father and, and saying his name is James Richard Morrison. Instead of telling you stories about growing up and my dad sitting down at his piano outside of the door of my bedroom for several hours, going into the presence of the Lord, having no idea on the other side of the door, I was going into the presence of the Lord just because of what my dad was doing. And if you asked me to describe him and all I got to say was, his name is James Richard Morrison, I would be so frustrated. I'm even more frustrated that I was trying to, in three points, describe God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Who is that stupid? I was. So now, this is not 40 days of love. We're going to be in this series all the way to Easter, okay? So it can't be entitled 40 days of love anymore. Now it's love again. That's the title of the series, love again. And, and I got to give you the burden at the beginning of this series so that you understand why we're doing what we're doing for the next three months. I felt like one of the things the Lord is saying to us and to the church at large is the same thing that Jesus said to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter two. He paid them some compliments, there were some great things going on, and then he says, but here's my point of contention with you. You don't love me and each other the way you once did. This is it, right here in a nutshell. This is what I think he's saying to the entire body of Christ. You don't love me or each other the way that you used to. And so here's what we're going to do for the next 12 weeks. We're just going to repent every week. Doesn't mean we're going to come in and say, I'm so bad, I got to get it right. No, no, no. Repentance is changing my mind as well as changing my direction. And there's some things we, you, 
I need to change about my thinking right now? And some of those things have to do with the way I'm thinking about God. And so this week, we're going to do God the Father. Next week, God the Son. The week, uh, my third week, God the Holy Spirit. And I don't have a ton of time to be able to describe the Trinity to you, but C.S. Lewis does a phenomenal job in a very brief but genius way of describing how to kind of try and wrap your mind around God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, we don't believe in modality. Modality means that God has to hit the pause button as Father in order to become the Son. Okay, we don't, we don't believe in that. The Son sits at the right hand of the Father. Okay, so here's how C.S. Lewis described the Trinity. He said it would be like taking a shape, and you'll know the shape at the end, and in one dimension, all you would see is a line, a straight line. But in two dimensions, you would see a square. But in three dimensions, you would see a cube with six sides. Okay, in a phrase or a statement, here's the best way I believe to describe the Godhead. God is one in essence, but three in persons. I know it's a lot, especially if this is your first time in church. I know that's a lot. Here's my simple way to try and describe it. God is so much better than we could ever wrap our minds around that from time to time, he shows us a little bit of himself just to go, and then he says, and my ways are unsearchable. Here's what that means. Preston, you're going to spend the rest of eternity trying to figure out just how awesome I am, but you ain't going to ever come to the end of it. That's the Texas paraphrase right there. And here's one of the things we really need to understand about God. It starts with understanding God as Father. That's this first message, love God the Father. In Old Testament times, there was an incredible understanding of God as the Almighty. But there wasn't an incredible understanding of God as Father. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu, Malek, Ha'olam. The beginning of many, many blessings. The Jewish people today still pray. What is that in English? Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. There was an understanding, and is, an understanding of just how big and great God is. He's the Almighty, but there wasn't an understanding of God as Father. In fact, it wasn't until one particular rabbi came on the scene that began to teach and proclaim God as Father that people started actually to take note. You know who the rabbi was? Yeshua, Jesus. In fact, John 5 tells us this was one of the reasons they wanted to kill him because he talked about God as Father. Jesus had a revelation of God as Father at least as early as 12, probably earlier than that. But on record, we know he said, why would you think I was anywhere else but my father's house? Over 160 times in the gospel, Jesus refers to God as Father And we're going to talk more about that next week, and it's going to be a blast. Jesus was teaching us. God isn't just his father. God is the father, and he has children, not just one begotten son. 
Believers in Jesus Christ are sons and daughters of God. J.I. Packer says something that I absolutely love in knowing God. It's one of my favorite quotes from that book. It's a little long, but bear with me. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and his prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. We got to get this. And if they were trying to kill Jesus over this, then you need to understand there's still a war over you not getting it today. There was a war then, there still is now. I think if the revelation of God as Father swept through the body of Christ, it would absolutely revolutionize the way the world sees the bride of Christ. But I can tell you for a fact that the church at large has not gotten this revelation yet. Here's how you know the way he treat, the way they treat his other children. I know you don't have a revelation. I'm getting a little strong, it's the 11 o'clock service. I know you don't have a revelation of God as father when you pick on and nitpick the rest of his kids. You cannot convince me that you understand God as father if you attack his children. He sent his son to die for his children. There's no way. That's why I think Jesus says, it's not just you don't love me the way you used to. It's that you don't love each other the way that you used to. This is a family. And Jesus said, the whole world will know you by your love for one another. How do we do better? You just got to get a revelation of God as Father. So let's ask and answer the question. Okay, can't give you a comprehensive, exhaustive list, but let's ask the question. What kind of father is he? If God is Father, what kind of father is he? I'm going to give you five things, and let me just tell you, these are personalized. So the points are, my father is, okay? And I didn't personalize it for me. So don't look at the preacher and go, well, that's true of him, not of me. If you're a believer in Jesus, these statements are true of your father, just as true as they are of mine. And if you're not yet a believer in Jesus, these statements can be true of your father because they are true of the father. You just got to get in on it, okay? And it's possible that I might be a little bit swaggery in this message, Okay? I don't even know if that's a word. But here's why. Because when I break open scripture and I am reminded all over again of how amazing my father is, I cannot do so and be like this. This is what my dad is like. I pin my shoulders back. I'm like, I am a son of God most high and this is what my father is like. I pin my shoulders back. And so did King David. You'll see it later in the message. But let's answer the question. What kind of father is he? Point number one, answer number one. My father is over all. My father is over all. All created things and created beings. This is the idea of God being transcendent. It's one of his attributes. He is transcendent. The word transcend means to exist above and independent from. Let me illustrate this. Have you ever been at maybe Costco or on the phone with American Airlines and something went wrong and you're trying to talk to somebody about making it right. Anybody ever been in that place before? Okay, and have you ever heard the person on the other end of the line or behind the desk say to you, I'm sorry, ma'am, I'm sorry, sir, I'm not able to do that. Have you ever heard that before? 
Okay, I don't know how you handle it, but some of us handle it like this. We just simply say, well, who can do something about this? And then they say something like, well, my boss is boss. And then some of us, not me, of course, but some of us say in response, then I would like to talk with your boss's boss. I just want to speak to whomever can do whatever needs to be done about what we're talking about. Okay. Have you ever noticed human beings have a natural organizational understanding that whoever is at the top or higher up than everybody else has the power and authority to do what nobody else in the organization can do? Well, let me just give you a little secret. God is not the man upstairs. God is not the boss's boss's boss. He is the one who is over it all, beside none, beneath none, forever. He's over it all. So he, he's sovereign. No one can ever unseat him. I'll show you in scripture. Ephesians chapter four, verse five. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all in all, and living through all. There will never be a moment where someone supersedes the God who is eternally over all. This is why I sleep better at night. Psalm 97 verse 9, for you, Lord, are most high above all the earth. How high? Most high. That was not a confident answer. Most high. You're exalted far above other gods. What was the beginning of the news? the angel brought that we talk about every Christmas. Glory to God in the, where? Highest. That was more confident. In other words, nobody is that high. You know, if you're struggling with anxiety and just fear of, of the chaos going around you in your life, and, and let me just tell you, one of the best ways to fall asleep at night is to meditate on the transcendence of God. No one Scripture says, is going to knock him out of that spot. So I fall asleep every night as one of his children, beneath the one who never slumbers nor sleeps, who will never be knocked off of the highest of all places. My father is over all. Here's the second answer to the question. My father is powerfully protective. So let's transition from his transcendence to his power. How much power does God have? The Bible says all of it, every bit of it. Have you ever been in a tough situation and you need someone to rescue you, but your hero ran into the limits of their power? That will never happen with God, ever. Anybody who has any measure of power on this earth only has it because God loaned it to them. It isn't because they actually have it. They're just borrowing it because God has all power. It's all his in heaven and on earth. Psalm 62, verse 11. God has spoken plainly, and I've heard it many times. Power, O oh God, belongs to you. Now, this next verse is, is, in my opinion, a touch sarcastic. I don't know if you know this about God, but he's a little sarcastic. I want to preach a message on this one day and just go through all the passages I love so much where God is sarcastic. Because I love it. He, he is. And, and when God is sarcastic, it, part of it is to be, I think, playful but it's always to be powerful. He's trying to make a point, okay? Listen to this next verse, Jeremiah 32, 27. God says, I am the Lord, the God of all the peoples of the world. 
Is anything too hard for me? I love it when he talks like this. Just imagine him kind of strolling and he goes, I am the God of all people. Is there anything which I cannot do? No. You know, this is a really comforting truth. I don't know how many times when we planted this church and I would feel God say, okay, here's the next place. I want you to lead the church. I don't, I don't remember how many times my response would be, I can't. Lord, that's a lot. That, that's too far. I can't do that. I want to know one of the sweetest things you will ever hear in your heart when you feel stuck in an I can't, I can't, I can't do it space. It's when the Father says, I can. And I think he says it in that really deep tone of voice too. I'm in that high pitch, just griping. I can't do it. I can't do it. And he just pulls up in the car next to me and goes, I can. Because I am. I can. <laughs> I don't know how many times I started my day when we started this church meditating on the words, I can. Because my father has all power. There is nothing my father cannot do. But here's what's awesome about this power. One of his favorite things I believe to do with his power is to protect his children. I'll show it to you in the scripture. Psalm 62 verse 7, King David said, my victory and honor come from God alone. And I think he kind of pins his shoulders back right here. He says, he is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. I love it when he talks like this. I love when any child of God talks like this. When they get a revelation of their father, you can always tell. Just think the shoulders come back. I get more confident. That's my dad. He has all power. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. He personally watches over me. Because one of his children. David says, God is my refuge. He's a rock where no enemy can reach me. Okay, now some of you might be thinking, well, if God is so powerful and protective, why have I experienced so much pain? It's a great question, really good question. Let me help you understand. God is not an overprotective parent. He's perfectly protective. Please hear my heart. I know this could be some, some dicey waters. I'm not speaking to something horrific that's been done to you. I've taught on this before. I'm talking about pain. We all go through pain. Tough stuff happens. We lose our job. We lose this. We lose that pain. Many of us, despise pain. God is not overprotective. An overprotective parent loves to shield their children from all pain. But God does not do that. There are times he lets us experience pain. Want to know why? Because pain can sometimes be one of the best teachers. If he didn't give your fingers the ability to feel pain, Every time you touched something on the stove that was burning hot, if he didn't put that ability in your fingers, 
the ability to experience pain, you'd burn your flesh off. Don't curse pain. With God, pain can be a powerful teacher. I remember when I was freshman year of college, I've told this story before. I experienced some pain. A girl I thought I was gonna marry didn't even break up with me. She got engaged to another guy. You know you are an amazing human being when someone doesn't even dump you and they get engaged to someone else without telling you. <laughs> and I hit rock bottom, I'm not gonna lie. Like freshman year, I, I failed nearly every class. I think I had a 1.4 GPA first semester because I stopped going to class. I literally laid in bed all day watching Andy Griffith and Alf. Full House, all of the shows from my childhood just to make me feel like a child again. And I was griping to God. Why are you letting me experience it? Why did you do this? He didn't do it. Now he allowed it to happen. I didn't understand at the time why. Can I tell you one of the most valuable lessons I have learned in this life is what I learned going through that pain. God was helping me to understand how valuable true love really is. And while it hurts so badly, the little girl who calls herself my wife wakes up every morning next to a little boy who looks over her and says, I cannot believe someone like you is holding hands with someone like me. I will love you to the day I die. But not even in a, an earthly relational way. I learned how amazingly perfect the love of God is. Because there were moments he would say, I will never do this to you. I'm incapable of doing this. Because my love is perfect. I got a revelation of the goodness of God's love through pain. Are you hearing me? Don't curse one of God's favorite teachers, pain. He's protective, but he's not overprotective. Here's the third thing. One of my favorite things about my father. My father is never absent. My father is never an absentee father. Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24. God says, am I a God who is only close at hand? No, I am far away at the same time. I am perfectly close and perfectly far, all together simultaneously. Wrap your mind around that one. Can anyone hide from me in a secret place, Preston? Am I not everywhere in all the heavens and earth, says the Lord? Anybody grow up uh, watching Sesame Street? You remember when they taught us the lesson of near and far? Near. Far. Near. Far. Here it is. God. God. <laughs> he is both transcendent and imminent. It's not just that he's omnipresent everywhere. He's the God who is far and simultaneously perfectly close. Imminent. Right here. My father is not an absentee. Father, he says, I'm everywhere in heaven and on earth. Now, there's one verse, I think, that has created a little bit of angst and incomplete understanding of why God is everywhere, why he's close. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. 
Okay, this is what many people think, that the reason God is everywhere is so that he can be the police force. The heavenly police force spanking everybody who does wrong and rarely rewarding anyone who does good. Okay, if that's your perspective of God, there's only one reason. You haven't studied him at all. You just take in what some hurt people have said about him in your past. That's not actually what God is like. The Bible tells us exactly what God is like. Like, He is everywhere, but he's not everywhere so that he can be heaven's police force. One of my favorite revelations that I've gotten so far in my, revel- in, in my relationship with the Lord. Years ago, I was in a board meeting in Dallas uh, for another church, and it was an important meeting. They were talking about important stuff, and I was completely checked out. And I was looking at my phone. On my phone, I have this app that shows me when my son is playing baseball, I can see every pitch and every play on my phone. So when I travel, I can watch. I I can feel like I'm still a part of the game. And so I I was watching this game. He was pitching, and I was in a foul mood in my heart. And they they couldn't tell the people in the room, but I was checked out. And so I'm watching this app, and I just felt the Lord kind of go, what is wrong with you? And I said, I am here, and my son is there. This is excruciating. I don't want to be here right now. Not because of these people or this church. I don't want to be here because my son is pitching over there. This is excruciating. And I started to get emotional. I said, I don't want to send my son the message that where I am is far more important to me than wherever he is. And right now, that's how I feel. And I just felt so sweetly, God the Father say, there's a question you've never asked me. I said, what is it? He said, you've never asked me why I'm everywhere. I said, okay, why are you everywhere? I just felt the Lord say, because I refuse to feel that feeling you're feeling right now. I'm a father who refuses to miss any of his children's games. And so I am everywhere. Preston, I get to the stadium 24 hours before you do so I can simultaneously walk in next to you and stand in front of you and stare at your face as you step onto the field to play. Because that's what obsessed daddies do. I am everywhere because I'm obsessed with you. I am not everywhere so that I can catch you doing everything you do and spank you appropriately. I get consequence and God's discipline is part of the way he shows his love for us. I totally get that. But this idea that the only reason God is everywhere is so that his eyes can see all the wrong that's done so he can punish accordingly is not complete. The romantic why, I believe, behind God being everywhere is his obsession for you. But do you live like that? Do you wake up every morning of your life and when you open your eyes, go, out of all the places you could be, you are here. You're perfect in all of your ways. How in the world, out of all the places you could be, why are you here? Because I'm obsessed with you. Show me where the church at large is living like this. And I'm not trying to poke at anybody. I am my father's son. One of the best parts of being me is my father. And we're missing this, many of us. Sometimes I think it's because we're so bent on what we think about him being true. We don't take the lid off 
Study him through his word. Try and find his why for doing all the things he does. My father is never, ever, 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 ever absent. My father walked out with me when I walked on this stage. My father will walk off this stage with me. He will go out to my truck. He will be with me. And one of my favorite moments on Sundays is when I just feel like I, I get to look over at him and I just see that look. It doesn't always happen, but man, when it does, as a little boy, it warms my heart because I love my father. And one of the things I love most about him is he is never, ever absent. That brings us to number four. Two more. My father is extravagantly generous. We just made it through the Christmas season, and for parents, and, and many of us, we're, we're thinking about what gifts to give the people we love in our lives, and, and as parents, we're thinking about, okay, what, what is this child wanting, you know, can we afford that? What do we do this year, next year? And sometimes it's big, sometimes it's small. It's not about the size of the gift. It's just part of being a parent is being generous. And one of the verses I love, it goes, God goes on record through Jesus saying in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, he says, so if you sinful people, Preston, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? This whole idea that my father is stingy makes me want to fight somebody. I hate it. And I, I'm not just talking about money, but let me, let me give you, and please don't get wonky on me, because sometimes when pastors talk about money, you use it as an excuse to get sideways. Please don't do that in this moment. Let me be a little boy, okay? Because this was just a miraculous moment in my family. And it may not seem big to you, but it was a statement to us. Our oldest, Riley, is a freshman off at college. She's playing volleyball at the school where she's at. And because of the way some things went down, uh, she committed to play there last minute, and they said, well, freshman year, we're not able to give you a full scholarship, uh, but the max we can do is 80%, and then afterwards, it'll be okay. But your parents are gonna have to pay for 20% of the freshman year. And so Holly and I knew at the beginning of the first semester, we were gonna have to pay $3,100, and at the beginning of the second semester, $3,100. And towards the end of last year, we felt, Holly and I felt the Lord start to put some things on the radar for us, some changes, some goals, some things he wanted to do through us uh, financially, sacrificially. And so I go into kind of budgeting mode and we gotta, gotta cut this, move this, and you know. So I've kind of been there this last month. And so we knew this second installment was coming. Wednesday, Riley was going back to college and we knew we had to make the payment that day. And so I'm at the office, Holly and Riley are sitting in the car waiting for the boys uh, to arrive at the bus stop. And Holly hits the make payment button and pays the $3,100. And I know what we have it in savings, please don't get caught up in details. It was just, you know how when you know you're about to go through a little bit of a stretch, sometimes your savings is a bit of a security blanket. And so we had it, we paid it. Not five minutes later, Riley gets out of the car, goes to the mailbox, which is next to the bus stop in our neighborhood. And, you know, I don't know if you're like me, but mail, like snail mail, is the biggest waste of, for the most part. It's all junk mail. So we get ours very rarely, you know? So there's a, a, a stack of stuff. In other words, don't send anything through the mail. Because <laughs> it'll probably be two weeks before I read it. 
And most of it, Holly's going through it, most of it is junk, and she pulls out this letter, this envelope, and opens it up, and there's a $3,400 check that came out of nowhere from somewhere we did not expect, just it, it was supernatural provision. Here's what's great about it. Not the payment, the statement. Money comes and goes. This, this story is not about money, it's about my father. My dad proved something, he didn't need to, but he chose to. And one of the people he proved something to was my only daughter. And my daughter, in a span of five minutes, learned that her daddy's provider is his father. And the three of us will never forget that moment. But you know what's awesome? Money is just a, a, it's a sliver of the goodness of God's generosity. I want to show it to you in the Bible. Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Jesus, after saying a couple of verses earlier to believers, don't worry about what you'll wear or what you'll eat. Unbelievers worry about that stuff. In other words, don't worry about your needs, Preston. Then he says in, in uh, verse 32 of Luke 12, Jesus says, so don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Not a $3,400 check, the whole kingdom, Preston. The whole thing. You want to know why this idea of God being stingy sets me off so badly? It's not because it's a financial thing. It's because of the relational implications of serving a stingy God. If I have a stingy heavenly father, here's the problem. It means he looks at me and says, I can't give you access to all of me because I'm stingy. I don't want to serve a relationally stingy God. Now, I, don't get, I get that I don't get what I want all the time, but I was made to fall in love with the perfect one who says, I've torn the veil. You can have unfettered access, son. I withhold nothing of myself. And the best part of eternity, Preston, is gonna be being in my presence and you, your nerdy self studying me out every moment you get and never coming to the end of who I am. He is not stingy. He is extravagantly generous, including with himself. But in the same way that if I came up to you and said, I'd like to give you a $100,000 check right now, you have to receive it. Can you imagine me trying to hand you a $100,000 check and you look me in the face and go, I don't want it. This is how I feel every time someone comes into the house of God and the presence of God, encounters, be it ever so briefly, sometimes, the extravagant love of God and then they say, I don't want it. To me, and maybe this is wrong, but to me, that's the equivalent of someone trying to hand me a $100,000 check, $100 million check and me saying, I'm sorry, I don't want it you'll never be able to give me a good reason. Why? You could look in the direction of the perfect father and say, I don't want that love. Because there isn't one that exists. There is not a reason or an excuse that exists. Here's the last verse, just to help drive this point home of his extravagant generosity. Romans 8:32. Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? 
He doesn't know how to be stingy. He shoved his extravagant generosity into the most famous Bible verse on the earth. For God so loved the world that he gave. My father is extravagantly generous. And then here's the fifth answer. My father is perfectly gracious. My father is perfectly gracious. Grace is love which has paid a price. Grace is giving me what I don't deserve. Now, if you have a Bible, you can flip to Psalm 103 if you'd like to read it along with me. We're going to read five verses. There's a verse here about God's behavior as a father. Verse 13 says, The Lord is like a father to his children. What kind of father is he like? Tender and compassionate to those who fear him. What does this tenderness and compassion look like practically? Go back four verses and let's read them. Verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The word merciful means to not give me what I do deserve. That's mercy. Here's what his tenderness and compassion looks like. God is slow to get angry. He is a father who is slow to get angry. Maybe you've encountered a parent who was prone to anger and outbursts consistently. God is not like that. He is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. Verse 9, he will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. Verse 11, for his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. Coming back to his transcendence, this is why it's so important to understand God is above it all. Because one of the things he wanted to prove with his transcendence, remember when, when our kids were young and we would say, how much does daddy love you? And they would say, this much. And then we would say, no. And you just came up with whatever description you could. From heaven all the way back, all the way up to the clouds, down to the bottom of your feet. Whatever it is you use to describe, this is one of the reasons why it's important to understand the transcendence of God, because he wants you to know just the distance, the measure of love he has for you. All the way to the height of the heavens. Verse 12, he has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. isn't it interesting that God goes on record in the Bible and says when you become one of my children Preston I take all the ugly sin that you've committed the sins you are committing and the sins you will commit and I remove them from you as far as the east is from the west some of us walked in today beaten up by the sins of our past And maybe one of the reasons you are not even yet a child of God is because of the way you see all the the bad stuff you've done in your past. God as Father goes on record and says, for my children, I remove their sins as far away from them as the east is from the west. Isn't it interesting that God the Father did not say, Preston, I removed your sins as far as the north is from the south. This is really important. Because think about on this globe of ours. If I took that literally, if if the Bible would have said, God removes my sins as far as the north is from the south, and I just woke up this morning and said, you know what? I want to see how far the north is from the south. And I just started on a journey. And I started going north. 
Well, many of us understand the way this earth works. There is a point that is so far north that once you hit it, what happens? If you keep going, you begin going south, right? Isn't it amazing, perfectly amazing, that God said, I didn't press and remove your sins as far as the east from the north is from the south. In other words, if you tried to find them, eventually, if you went far enough, you could run into them. He says, I removed them as far as the east is from the west. So what would happen if I would have woken up this morning and said, I want to test this out. I would start traveling west. And here's what I would find. No matter how far I go, I'd still be going west. Person, what about when you get to the east coast? Still traveling west. I will never, traveling west, I'll, I'll never get to the end. It just keeps going and going and going. I'll never find it. God says, Preston, let me, let me help you understand. Your sins separated you from me. I don't want anything to ever separate us again. So I sent my son to die for you in your place so that his blood would be spilled out for you and it would cover all of your sins. Because I know, son, there are gonna be some days where you wake up and you try and remember the sins of your past. And that will get in the way of us. So I'm gonna go on record and I'm gonna say something. I hope you never forget, Preston. As my son, I take your sin and I remove them as far away from you. So far, you'll never be able to find them again. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.